Welcome to the 270th episode of the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and your co-host, Kevin Toffel. And we have an astounding show for you today. Actually, it's a little meh. There was not a lot of huge product news out there in the, in the world of smart homes. COVID, COVID. Indeed. So we're going to be talking about Wink changing its mind again, Wemo, the future of remote work, SoftBank selling OSIsoft, NXP has a new CEO, and Savant is acquiring GE's lighting brand. Plus, Kevin's got a review of some light bulbs. And our guest this week is Vahid Mannion, who is the COO of Morse Micro. And we're going to be talking about Wi-Fi Halo. And if you don't remember Wi-Fi Halo, it was the Wi-Fi standard for IoT. And we're going to talk about where is that really? The show is sponsored by Calyx, and you'll hear from them a little later on in the program. But first, a message from another one of our sponsors. This week's sponsor is Edge Impulse. New machine learning technology called TinyML in today's efficient 32-bit microcontrollers and CPUs are enabling real-time sensor and device data insights, making use of the 99% of sensor data that's discarded today. All of this happens right on the edge. Edge Impulse is working with Google, Arm, ST, and others to make TinyML available to all developers and enterprises. This is going to enable new high-value applications in machine monitoring, asset tracking, facility management, health, safety, and more. You can learn more and sign up for free at edgeimpulse.com. Okay, Kevin. We recorded the show last week a little bit early because I had an event that we did, and it was on COVID-19 and why the IoT didn't predict it. I have to say, because I attended, I detest webinars, and this one was awesome. Okay, we're not going to call it a webinar because everyone hates webinars. This was a virtual event. A virtual event. Okay, well, it was a virtual event, and in reality, I loved it. I really got a lot out of it. Excellent. Yes. And that should be available for download in the podcast channel. So if you subscribe, and by the way, you should subscribe to the IoT podcast, you should get a copy of that as well. So the point is, we recorded a little bit early. And soon after we recorded, Wink changed its mind again. So if, if, you're, if you're just joining us on the Wink saga, basically at the beginning of this month, it said, hey, if you want to keep using your hub, you're going to have to pay $4.99 a month. Otherwise, it's going to stop working and you have a week to decide. And then a week later, they said, okay, that was probably too short of a time frame. So you're going to pay us $4.99 a month. And now you have another week to decide before your hub stops working. <laughs> and then on that deadline, they said, okay, okay, we got this. Instead, so many people signed up that we don't have to charge anyone. So nobody has to pay anything for their Wink Hub to still keep working. And they're not even taking the payment yet, I believe, from the people who had signed up. Right. If you signed up like I did, not because I think this is going to be the best investment I made, but more just to keep informed for you guys, you got an email that said, hey, we're not going to charge you right now. To me, this further underscores what we've seen over the past 18 to 24 months from this company. And it's just a lack of clear communicated direction. 
I think it's just a lack of direction. I don't think they can communicate clearly because they don't know. They're like, here's here's my sense. Behind the scenes, they're like, oh, we bought this. And this is Will I Am's investment group. So this is no longer the same people who, if you bought a wink, this is not the same company. I feel like what's probably happening is there's a little chaos. They were they're trying to keep it operational. It was costing them too much. So they kind of let it go. But then they had these apparently 4 million customers. And some of those customers really thought that they were going to still have a working product. So they would email them and be like, hey, this isn't working. Fix it. They would deal with it. And then eventually they sat down and they were like, okay, COVID-19 forcing our hand. What are we going to do with this investment? And they were like, ah, we don't really care. Maybe if everyone pays for it, it'll be good. I feel like that's about the level of thought that went into this. And then they said that, and everyone was like, Rah! and now they're like, oh, crap. People really got upset about this. Um, okay, let's see if we can make this a viable business. But I, the sense is, I don't think they care. I think they don't want to upset people. It's like your conflict-averse boyfriend who's going to like gradually ghost you and make you break up with him. That is exactly the situation that's happening here. Well, in a sense, that's kind of what I did. I mean, I kind of got tired of waiting around for Wink to mature, and I and I broke up with them. Exactly. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm that sad, codependent person who's like, maybe if I just pay them, he'll stay with me. I think you just like the drama. You want to see what happens. I do want to see what happens. Plus, <laughs> you know, there, there might be people who actually subscribed. I don't know. And I don't oh, there think- are. No, there the are. Number, I mean, the yeah. Facebook uh, group for Wink, I mean, there are people, some people were not happy, but a lot of people are like, I got no problem with this. This is great. I love my Wink. And for five bucks, it's worth it. So we'll see. All right. Oh, in other news that's probably going to hack a lot of people off, Wemo. What are they doing, Kevin? <laughs> so earlier this week, Wemo has changed the way you manage your Wemo devices, in a sense, because going forward, all new Wemo customers who buy Wemo smart home devices have to set up a new Wemo account, which is kind of how a lot of the products that we buy work today. But Wemo kind of was simple and didn't require that in the past, but they're going to now. And unfortunately, some people have upgraded to a Wemo account, existing customers, that is. And I see Twitter storms of devices not working. And this reminds me of the whole Nest to Google account fiasco. Oh, and people are still upset about that. So, And they should be. They yeah. should be. But the thing is, if, if you're an existing Wemo customer and have devices, you don't need a Wemo account, this new Wemo setup. However, you're going to at some point in the future. So hopefully the bugs and kinks get worked out by the time that they require it, essentially. so Yeah. Wemo says they're doing this for security purposes. And it has had a bad reputation for security for quite some time. And it's the way it handles Wi-Fi. So what happens is if you go into someone's house and they have Wemo devices and you are allowed on their Wi-Fi network, you, if you have the Wemo app on your phone, can control their Wemo devices. And they did this to make it easy to set up because back in 2011, when they launched these products, the whole smart home stuff needed to be simple and easy. My hunch is the account is going to stop things like that because you're going to have to have an account tied to your devices. So now when I go into someone's house and they let me on their Wi-Fi network 
and I open my Wemo app and I'm like, hee hee, let's turn on their lights. I won't be able to do that. And anymore. they specifically call that out as a, as a key feature by saying, you know, the Wemo account is a password protected account for all of your Wemo devices. Once an account is created, other users will not be able to control your Wemo devices unless they're logged into your account. So that, that's exactly the situation they're trying to resolve. Ah, that was just a fun way to prank my friends. But yes, True. no. So you're eventually going to have to upgrade. Maybe give it a second because once again, <laughs> they're just not good at this. It's hard. All right. Let's talk about the future of work because, my goodness, we're not hearing anything about that right now with everybody working oh, from no. home and COVID-19. Two stories prompted this discussion. One is a company called Scandit. They raised $80 million for industrial AR and VR. And Scandit, they do, it's a computer vision and machine learning platform. And what they do is you can run their software on your video cameras, robots, and uh, smartphones and other devices. And it has barcode scanning, text recognition, object recognition, and augmented reality. So the idea is you put this software on some sort of device in your factory, and maybe it can feed into a pick and place robot. Maybe it's, you know, scanning packages in a FedEx line. There's, there's lots of things that could happen. I thought it was pretty cool that they got 80 million. It's a lot of money. They've been doing pretty well. So and once again, they called out COVID because remote work is really ramping up in the industrial space because they need their workers to be safe, but they still need to operate. The other reason we're talking about this story is because of Mark Zuckerberg. He went out and he said, hey, Facebook employees, yeah, you can work from home. But then he got scary. <laughs> <laughs> His vision for the world and future of remote work is, is it involves the Oculus headsets, which Facebook owns, and this idea that you will be in a virtual workspace with this headset attached to your face for the workday? I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, he does say this is all years away. I, yes, I mean, but remember that picture, and I can't remember what it was from, but everybody in the audience had some sort of VR headset on, and... They were all looking at a stage, and it was just creepy. Do you remember this? Yeah, no, I, I know. I know what you're talking about. Uh, and it is creepy. But in some sense, to me, it's kind of cool as well where this could go. I mean, if you think about 2D video conferencing, and it's not as immersive, but we're using it today because we have to. So the idea of like 3D video conferencing and uh, virtual avatars of people that look like them in a sense, almost like holograms around a table that you're looking at. It's creepy, yes, but kind of cool to me as well. I don't know that that's the answer, but that's kind of what he's looking at. Yes. So I get that. In all of this, <laughs> I will say, what about the worker? So when I take off my headset so I can navigate my real world, you know, I'm basically cutting myself off from Facebook's data stream. And I think about things like, hey, when we put, you know, IM on our machines at GigaOM, for example, mm -hmm. it, it felt weird when it went off, when I was away from my computer for too long and people could see that I'm away. No one actually called me out on it because that wasn't the way we well, operated. Not that you know of, but we can talk about that offline. Fine. Kevin was <laughs> trash talking me behind my back. But... They're going to have even more information about your attention span, 
what were you actually working on? All of that data is going to be mediated through Facebook stuff. And granted, companies are now putting on key logging software. Some of them are like engaging the video camera on people's computers just to make sure they're like focused. I feel like this future of work for remote work is way too intrusive, way too dystopian. I do agree with you. Going back to your IM example, which is a good example, that never bothered me because even I was remote as well. If I, When I did work in, a, in an office, people could see if I was available or not just by looking at my desk or my office or whatever. So that didn't bother me too much back in the day. What does bother me is exactly what you're saying, the intrusiveness of either Facebook capturing all this information and or my employer. I'm or not both. too keen on that. Or Well, hopefully it's neither. Yeah. So I look at the things like in going back to Scandit and other efforts. So what we're seeing in the industrial world is not just robots that have computer vision software that make them maybe more able to be piloted remotely, but also things like factory automation software and then you can actually get a stream of data from the equipment telling you like how you might need to control it. And I'll go back. This is that idea. I think we talked about it with the smart city a while back. It's the idea that you're not the sensor generating information. You're the brain getting the information. So I like the idea of having sensors and tools that can go out into the world and operate remotely. And then I can sit at my desk and filter through that and, and handle that information. So uh, yeah, I'm uh, not the sensor. Right. I, I don't want to be the industrial robot at my office either, quite honestly. So <laughs> there we go. So it's just like a little shift in perspective. And I definitely want us to keep thinking about this as we talk about what happens with the future of work. And as we talk about bringing AR and VR in, I think there's really valuable use cases for it. I don't think my like Zuckerberg's vision is it. Okay. Speaking of industrial workplaces... SoftBank is reportedly thinking of selling OSI Soft, and this is from Bloomberg. SoftBank, they spent crazily in the last few years, and one of their big bets, Masa-san's bet, was on the Internet of Things. They own Arm, they have lots of companies, and back in 2017, they spent a lot of money buying OSI Soft. OSI Soft makes software that gathers data from industrial machines. So it is an industrial IoT company to the max. And it was all part of Masayoshi-san's whole IoT strategy. And now with COVID and needing to, I guess, generate cash or make the investors a little bit happier, they're putting it up for sale. And they're hoping to sell it for $1.5 billion, which is interesting because way back in the day, it was actually valued at multiple billions. So and by way back in the day, I mean, basically three years ago when they did the deal. And at that time, OSIsoft had 400 million in sales. It is a well-known player in the industrial IoT. And so I look at this and I'm like, oh my gosh, are we going to see the wholesale disassembling of all the IoT investments that the SoftBank Vision Fund made? And what does that mean for a company like Arm? And the answer is, we don't know. But I'm going to keep an eye on this because, you know, again, the Vision Fund was one of the reasons like we were seeing such high multiples on fundings and investments in this space. So. Yeah, semi-related. I've noticed um, the latest deals in many industries actually 
all the valuations are down. Um, and there's, there's more deals than you would think happening right now due to the pandemic. Oh, sure. It's, if you it, have cash, it's a great time to pick something up. On the cheap. Yep. On the cheap. All right. Uh, sort of related in, to industrial, it's really just a broad, I don't know, IoT news. NXP, the semiconductor company, they have lots of, they make chips that go into lots of things. Cars, your sensors and your devices, application processors. They make all of that. They have a new CEO. Little personnel news, but Rick Clemmer was the former CEO. He is leaving. And they appointed Kurt Seavers to the role immediately. So Kurt Seavers is now the new CEO of NXP. I've actually met both men. Uh, Seavers has been at NXP for quite some time. I know him because he used to be, I think, at Freescale. And NXP bought them way back in the day. Clemmer had been the CEO since like 2009. Long time. Makes sense. We'll see what's happening. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I expect I expect more deal making in the semiconductor space, more consolidation, you know, uh, basically new boss. Don't expect yeah. much of a change. He comes I'm from kinda, within. I, uh, I know you have one more deal to talk about and I I'm leery about this one. I'll, I'll let you explain it. All right. Yes. Savant, which is a professional smart home integration company. They build all kinds of stuff. It's beautiful. It's like the Apple of the smart home. They have acquired GE Lighting, and hmm. they're not acquiring, they're acquiring the GE Lighting brand. And to me, this deal is basically, I look at this as a way for Savant to get into the DIY smart home without cannibalizing its professional relationships and distribution network. And GE has not loved its lighting division for a while because with the switch to LEDs, Basically, people are buying light bulbs and they're going to save it. They're going to keep them forever, right? <laughs> it's a terrible business. So everyone wanted to go services. People were like, eh, I don't really know if I want to go services. And so that's where we are. I hope you're right. So I said this was a licensing deal, but it's it's a bit more than that. It is all the 700 employees of GE Lighting are going to become Savant employees. So they're going to get the name and all of the associated GE brands, but they're going to actually build light, which is kind of crazy because that is not something Savant has done. Yeah, I I just hope it's not a way for them to have their own lighting brand that will not work outside of, you know, other integrations and so on. And part of that is because of what we're going to talk about in a, in a second, but I get consolidation, but uh, I think GE was actually making good strides forward in the consumer bulb market with their C by GE in the made for Google I think that's still going to happen. I think Savant wants to be part of that. And I'll also, this is very similar. Philips actually sold their lighting brand, so Philips Hue, to Signify. So Signify owns the Philips Hue brand, and they just got to keep the Philips name as part of a licensing thing. But they actually make all the Philips Hue gear now. And, and that is, a, Signify is a lighting company. But the transaction includes the long-term licensing agreement for the GE brand, much like Philips and Signify. And it's supposed to close the middle of this year. Financial details were not disclosed, but I think this could be really cool. In Savant, like Kevin, if they pull some of the stuff they've done at the higher end down into the lower end, it could be super cool. So like one of the things I thought was really fun about the Savant system, and this is a long time ago when I saw it, was that you could actually take a photograph of your room with the lights turned on 
it would memorize that setting. It would be like, okay, so this is the smart home setting. And it would, you could set up your lights and calibrate them from that photograph. And I always thought that was a really neat thing to do. I don't know if they'll do that with GE, but. I'm all for that moving down the product line. If that happens, that kind of technology, I think it'd be great. I just hope you're right. I, we won't know until later, obviously, but. Right. Like mid 2022. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'll, let me bookmark this show so I can remember to uh, check yeah. back on May, whatever, 2022. Yeah. Come back to us. All right. Yeah. So speaking of GE bulbs, Kevin, you made a purchase recently. I did. It was kind of a snap decision, which may explain why I actually bought old C by GE bulbs sort of by mistake. There was a, like a half price sale about two weeks ago at Best Buy, and it was a smart room starter pack that included four soft white dimmable C by GE bulbs and one smart plug. And like, I think it was 25 bucks. I'm like, Oh, gotta have it. Well, I kind of thought it was the newer C by GE Wi Fi bulbs that are quote unquote made for Google and just work natively with a Google assistant and home. But no, these are the older Bluetooth bulbs and I haven't used Bluetooth bulbs in ages. So instead of returning them, I installed them and I tried to use them just with the C by GE app in my phone over Bluetooth and the experience just wasn't there. And that's to be expected. I mean, things have changed since the original Bluetooth bulbs, right? Yeah. Those weren't even Bluetooth mesh. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, the installation was easy and, and I can set up automations within these bulbs. I can't really reach out to other devices in my house because these aren't connected to a hub or a bridge, except when you plug in the smart plug. So I did that because that plug has Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. And so that bridges the Bluetooth bulbs to the home network. Response time is much better. I didn't have to wait for the bulbs to be connected to my phone if I wanted to use them in the app. And then, of course, I could connect them by linking the C by GE account to Google Home to another voice control. So I decided to keep them because, I mean, for 25 bucks and the fact that that Wi-Fi smart plug essentially is like a little bridge. I think it's, uh, they, they work great. I can voice control them and as well as this, whatever's plugged into the smart plug. I guess my point is if you see them on a discount, don't scoff at them because they're just plain old Bluetooth bulbs if they come with that smart plug. Okay. So don't do old school Bluetooth bulbs because they are terrible. Yes, but I would agree. if you can have a smart plug that has a Wi-Fi bridge in there, and I jokingly messed with Kevin, I was like, oh my gosh, Kevin, you just bought a hub. I know. Hubs. But no, you're, you're right. Technically, it is. But it's also just the size of a very small outlet. So that doesn't bother me. I don't have to wire it to a router or anything like that. It's got built-in Wi-Fi. And it added voice functionality and smart controls to my little Himalayan salt lamp, which I now have plugged into it. So I'm Excellent. happy. Yeah, I was like to say, now you have a smart plug. Okay. So yay, C by GE bulbs, if you find them on sale and you need some cheap light bulbs and you're not averse to controlling them via voice, bring it on. All right. It is now time for us to take questions from our listeners. That's right. It's time for the Internet of Things podcast hotline, which is brought to you by Schlage. The best home automation adds convenience, not hassle. 
With its built-in Wi-Fi, the Schlage Encodes Smart Wi-Fi Deadbolt shows just how easy secure can be. Learn more at schlage.com. All right. And as part of this, we are giving away a Schlage Smart Lock for people who call in. Every month we do a drawing. So if you call in, you will be registered to win either a Schlage Smart Lock or a Helium router. You get to choose. And the Helium router is a LoRaWAN router that you know you can play with and create your own local LoRaWAN network that also becomes part of a community of LoRaWAN networks. So if you want to do that, give us a call at 512-623-7424 and just leave us a message. You can just say hi or you can leave us a question and maybe we'll answer it on future shows. You have until Sunday night at midnight Eastern to get in on this month's drawing. So 512-623-7424. And before we get to this week's question, I did want to bring something up because someone left us a voicemail saying that when I discussed the August lock two weeks ago, I said that it did not come with a keypad. And they took that to mean that it didn't, like that wasn't an option. But there is an optional add-on keypad. So if you like the August lock and you want to also buy a keypad, you can. So that is out there. I just was talking about it not being part of the lock itself. Right. But we do like our keypads. We love our keypads. And and I, I realized that was confusing. So thank you, Lisa, for letting me know that that was confusing. I don't want to do that to y'all. I want to help. Okay. This week's question comes from Kevin, but not our Kevin. And he's no. talking about, oh, wink. This show's going full circle, y'all. Okay, let's hear it. Hi, this is Kevin from Lake Arrowhead, California. I, too, have been a big Wink fan since 2016. I had the Hub 1, the Hub 2, and I have a Wink Relay. And you were asking for us to let you know what our plans were going forward. I have a question for you. I'm thinking about going buying a Lutron bridge because I have some Lutron light switches. And I've got a few Z-Wave sensors and some Z-Wave switches that I could live without, I think. But if I went with the Lutron and I felt I needed Z-Wave at some point, I would probably buy a SmartThings hub, but I would still need the Lutron bridge. Just your thoughts. you think that's a good idea? Thanks. Oh, Kevin, I'll be honest. I picked this because it had a Lutron component, and Lord <laughs> knows I love Lutron. But Oh, yes, she does. It's also a fair question to ask right now because lots of people are probably in a similar boat and we can help you. So my immediate response was, heck yeah, buy yourself a Lutron Smart Bridge. That thing's amazing. You can buy it for about $80. They're also package deals, which you can buy for like $80 that have a Pico remote and a smart switch, which is about a $50 value. And it's usually about $90 for those packages. You can shop around. And I, with your Z-Wave and Zigbee, you don't have to give them up. You could go with SmartThings. And the nice thing about Lutron is it works with so many platforms and it's freaking easy. I'm about to move and I'm putting Lutron in all of my, all of my light switches that I can. And it, even with SmartThings, he would have to have the Lutron bridge. Yes. Even, yeah, the Lutron bridge, because Lutron uses a... Lutron has several radio technologies, but the Caseta line has something called ClearConnect, and that's what worked with Wink. So yeah. basically, instead of the Wink Hub, you're going to have to get the Lutron Bridge. But the Lutron Bridge works with HomeKit, Google, and 
the Madam A ecosystem, plus other stuff. And now Kevin has another thought for you. Yeah, because I was actually in the same boat just a few months prior. And I, as I said earlier in the show, I, I broke up with Wink. I did go with the SmartThings Wi-Fi system, which is a SmartThings hub and Wi-Fi. You don't, if you have Wi-Fi, mesh Wi-Fi, you don't need that. You can just get the SmartThings hub. But I also had looked at prior the early edition of the Hubitat hub, which at the time you had to add a little dongle for Z-Wave and Zigbee. The newest version of the Hubitat Elevation Hub does include Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, uh, Zigbee, and Z-Wave. It's currently out of stock on the Hubitat site. It will be in stock on Amazon in July. It's about $130. And I mention it because it works with Lutron as well. The added benefit, I think, to many people over SmartThings is it's all local. It's all local controls that the hub doesn't send out your data anywhere else. So from a privacy standpoint, and I'd say from a speed standpoint, it's definitely worth considering. Agreed. Okay. Well, that wraps up this portion of the show. Remember, if you want to be entered to win, or you just have a question you'd like us to answer, give us a call at 512-623-7424. And now, stay tuned for our guest, Vahid Manian, who is the COO of Morse Micro. He's going to be talking to us about Wi-Fi Halo. And now, a message from our sponsor. Hey, everyone. We are taking a quick break from the Internet of Things podcast for a message from our sponsor. This week's sponsor is Calyx, and I have Michael Weening here with me. Michael, can you quickly remind us, who is Calyx? Thanks, Stacy. Calyx is a provider of cloud, software, systems, and services on a mission to assist service providers of all sizes to deliver amazing experiences to their subscribers in the home on future-proof and autonomous fiber networks. I'm really excited to continue our discussion on the Revenue Edge solution, and you can learn more at calyx.com slash Revenue Edge. You've had a pretty exciting couple of weeks. Could you share what has happened? That's an understatement, Stacy. We had three huge announcements that will help service providers change their business models by getting to market first and making it so their subscribers never have to go to a big box store for an amazing Wi-Fi experience again. First, we shipped our second generation Wi-Fi 6 system, the Blast U6, building on three years of software and cloud development and hundreds of thousands of tests with customers. This second generation Wi-Fi 6 system is so powerful that it'll make the days where you need a pod or a Wi-Fi extender a thing of the past. We had one customer replace a router and two extenders with one system, one U6 in his 7,000 square foot home. It is a system that is fully managed so that when a problem does occur, the service provider can make it right in moments. With the U6, we have massively raised the bar again with our ultimate Wi-Fi experience. And how do these BLAST systems work? Stacy, all BLAST systems leverage the BLAST Intelligent Mesh, which is our cloud and software platform that allows any BLAST system to be a mesh satellite in the unlikely event that you need it. Which brings me to our second announcement of the BLAST U4. It's a 5-inch by 5-inch system that's white, it's compact, and it's the epitome of consumer cool. It'll look great in any kitchen or family room. It can act as a router and is perfect for an apartment, or in a big house, it can act as a mesh satellite for a Blast U6, or you can bundle two or three Blast U4s together, spread them around the house to give that ultimate Wi-Fi 6 experience, because of course, everything is fully managed. Last, we announced mobile notifications. During these difficult times, service providers are critical to the running of our country, and service providers need new ways to communicate with their customers. 
That's why we announced a custom notification system that's built into our mobile application, Command IQ. This allows a call center support agent using Calix Support Cloud or a marketer using Calix Marketing Cloud to directly communicate with the subscriber in new and incredibly effective ways. It has been an incredible two weeks. Thank you, Michael. Can you remind people where to go to find out more information about Calix? Thank you, Stacy. If they are a service provider, they can go to calix.com slash revenueedge. And if they want to learn more about the awesome Blast Wi-Fi 6 systems, I encourage them to go to blastwifi.com and send their service provider an email if they're not offering ultimate Wi-Fi in your town. If they're a Calix customer, they'll listen. everyone. Welcome back to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham. And today's guest is Vahid Manian, who is the COO of a company called Morse Micro. Hi, Vahid. How are you today? I'm good, Stacey. Thank you very much. Excellent. All right. Well, first up, we should probably tell everybody what Morse Micro is. Okay. Morse Micro is a startup semiconductor company headquartered in Sydney, Australia and focused in developing Wi-Fi Halo, basically the new standard that was um, put together by IEEE standard A211AH. The Wi-Fi Halo, different than standard Wi-Fi that everybody knows, is a sub-gigahertz radio transmitting data at either 1 megahertz, 2 megahertz, 4 megahertz, or up to 8 megahertz channel. So it has a much longer reach, better penetration, than the current Wi-Fi, which is either 2.4 gigahertz or 5 gigahertz. Or now, starting soon, 6 gigahertz. Or starting soon, 6 gigahertz. Now, the drawback is obviously the bandwidth is going to be lower than what 6 gigahertz or 5 gigahertz or 2.4 gigahertz can deliver. But the benefit is the reach is going to be farther and it's going to have better connectivity. Okay, so the Wi-Fi Alliance announced this, uh, I want to say they certified it around 2017. And the idea was that you could have all of these IoT devices or other devices in places like your basement or in a parking garage, places where the coverage is really hard to come by. That lower megahertz spectrum was really going to be amazing for penetrating those walls. We got all excited. Another aspect of this was that you could have lots and lots and lots of devices on a single access point. And the Wi-Fi Alliance position this is Wi-Fi for IoT. That's correct. It is. They did, they did position it as a Wi-Fi for IoT because at the time there really wasn't any good solution to provide for the, all the IoT devices. There was, it was very fragmented. Could be Bluetooth, could be Zigbee, Z-Way, you name it. So Wi-Fi decided, okay, why don't we just take the Wi-Fi standard, which is, has the gold standard with respect to security and performance and provide that for the IoT devices. Right. Now, fast forward, it's been almost three years, and I have yet to encounter anyone who's sticking this on like a router in a consumer corporate setting. I haven't met a lot of people building even chipsets for this. It feels like this was a this was maybe not a standard that has been adopted yet or is useful based on adoption. That is correct. However, I think part of the challenges have been the industry was more focused on and particularly the major players in Wi-Fi were more focused in delivering better higher throughput performance Wi-Fi devices for people at home uh, in particular when 
everybody is going into streaming, streaming videos and having wanted to have faster connection. That's where they put all of their emphasis on rather than developing Wi-Fi solution for the IoT devices, uh, in particular, let's say if you want to control lighting or um, sensors or, or something like that. They just left that out to use whatever technology was available. However, I believe that's changing because there are a lot of devices coming into the market that does get a huge benefit by having a Wi-Fi halo capability versus using either standard Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or, or any other technology. Okay. So what are these devices that could work better with halo? For example, the first one I would say is video cameras, video cameras and surveillance cameras that people want to have in their home. Everybody gets these cameras, they put them around the house. You've heard a number of them out there, such as Nest Cam and Arlo and, and what have you. And these cameras, you know, today, they basically communicate using the standard Wi-Fi 811N on 2.4 gigahertz. But they have issues with reach. They have issues with penetration. It's also 2.4 gigahertz uh, spectrum is extremely, extremely crowded with so many devices communicating. So there is delays, there is a bottleneck, and that's why they are really looking for something that can give them better throughput, and yet you can stream video from an outside your backyard, looking into the house, rather than everything has to be the, the wired or being in the short range. Okay. Now, when I talk to people in the video camera industry, they're most excited, especially at the higher end, by something like Wi-Fi 6E. It doesn't penetrate, but you can send so much more data, and it's a totally clear spectrum band for now. So they seem more excited about that than something like Halo. Well, but those are, the video camera market also is, has a broad spectrum of offering. There is very high-end cameras, very high-end surveillance cameras, and then there is medium and low-end, which is people for consumer use. Consumers are not going to go buy the most expensive, those expensive cameras, put them around their home. That's, they usually buy the low-end one. I mean, if you look at it, for example, Arlo as an, as a, case example. It's a battery-operated camera. An Arlo battery-operated camera uh, using Wi-Fi 6, it just, the battery won't last very long and the penetration is very short. No one's really, people won't get benefit of that. There is no benefit in buying that if you, if you have to be very close to where your base station is. Mm -hmm. but, if, but if you can put one farther away with the battery life that it's going to live a lot longer, then that is a more, uh, that's a big attraction. Again, that's also it's a market that it's a, there's a plethora of of devices that they offer to different you know different users and different customer base. Okay, and so we we see something like this happening maybe at the higher end, so maybe the enterprise level. Well, I think the enterprise level, uh, enterprise video cameras are mostly are going to be NVR, the network video recording. And then now this is a scenario where you need to have eight or 16 cameras be connected to a server and recording all the time. That, I agree with you, they probably won't be using something like this technology. They'd be using more like the Wi-Fi 6. But when you're talking about a much smaller number, which is not enterprise, you know, consumer, that's where Wi-Fi Halo comes in and has, is a better solution. Than, uh, than enterprise. Okay, but you just told me consumers aren't going to spend money on this. 
I said consumer will not spend money on an enterprise class of cameras. Ah, okay. That helps Enterprise me. class of cameras. Yes. Okay. Then let's talk about battery life because we kind of skipped over that. But Wi-Fi, huge power hog, right? Yes. Uh, so what does Halo do to the battery rate? How should we so think of that? So Wi-Fi Halo, actually, one of the benefits of it, it does burn a lot less power than standard Wi-Fi does for a couple of reasons. One is because of the spectrum using a sub-gigahertz spectrum and lower frequency channel rate, you can transmit data and receive much easier than standard Wi-Fi can do. Standard Wi-Fi can, it's shorter, it's short distance, therefore, you know, yeah. If, if it is short distance, actually, the, the power dissipation is much lower, but, but if it gets on the edge, it uses a lot more power to be able to make the connection. That's the number one. And number two is Wi-Fi Halo, as well as it is all of an AX, they both adopted uh, this uh, target wait time which allows you to be able to consume battery and power and only be awake when it's needed versus always being awake and always trying to listen for any beacon that come in, which was the older Wi-Fi technology had. So that also gives you the benefit of the battery power. Today, our chip, from a battery and power perspective, it's a fraction of what a standard 8.11 N device is. We're about a factor of three to five times lower power during deep sleep mode and sleep mode than what the standard Wi-Fi is. Okay. Well, but that's, and then when it wakes up, is it closer to normal Wi-Fi? Well, in a transmit mode, yes. A transmit okay. mode is, you're, you're pretty much same. In the receive mode, it's still lower I wouldn't say it's that much lower, but it is lower than, than the um, uh, 811N, for example. I'm thinking about my video use case. So it's good for like something that I'm going to, oh, motion's detected. Wake up, take some video, send it, go back to yep. sleep. Yes. So, okay. It's much lower. Yes. Got it. Okay. Let's talk about Morse Micro because it's out there. It is building silicon for Wi-Fi Halo. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where is that process now? Is it, are we sampling? Are the chips out in the market? We're actually still a pretty fairly small company. We only have about 55 employees total, and we do have some contractors as well on top of that. We've done a couple of test chips that's been out that we have demonstrated to our customer. We've got our latest silicon out that right now we're bringing up, and uh, this is a device that we will provide it to the customer from evaluation perspective and design. And we are hoping that our final silicon that hits the production will be out later on this year, probably in the fourth quarter of this year with the goal of ramping to volume production beginning of 2021. Okay. And so the point is we wouldn't see Wi-Fi Halo devices out into the market until mid to late 2021, it sounds like. It would be, yes, 2021. I would say more more like mid-2021. Okay. And what types of customers and use cases are you envisioning for this technology? So our first uh, set of customers that we are in close collaboration and conversation with are video cameras. And also we are working with some, uh, which I cannot mention the name, but we're also working with some guys who provide gateways, access point, as well as even handset, mobile handset. Oh, wow. Yeah, because this was this was what I was going to get to next, which is the fun about developing networking technology is you have to have both the client devices and the access points, right? Yes. So it sounds like you're developing on both sides of the market. Yes? Yes. 
Okay. I understand that you can't tell me their names. Can we talk about maybe, are these going to be full-featured routers or access points that deal with like Wi-Fi 6, Wi-Fi 6E, and then that's also going to have Halo as a a part of that? Or is it going to be like a little standalone gateway that works with a particular video camera? So in order to get the market going faster, initially, and by the way, this is my opinion. So that I'm, I, I'm not saying that that's what their plan is. I think initially they're going to be doing some sort of a router that gets connected to their, their current base station. So very easy installation. You can just put it in. And um, so whatever the base station you have today or whatever router or gateway you have that has, uh, let's say, Wi-Fi 6 and you know Wi-Fi, high Wi-Fi, this will be bolted into that. Then later on, it would be an integration part of it. So it would be integrated as part of the same box. So you won't have two boxes, you'll have one box. Okay. And we actually saw this. The first generation of Arlo devices actually came with a hub that worked with, I I guess, whatever Arlo-focused lower power solution there was out there. So we bought the camera with the hub. It still comes with a hub. Oh, it does? Yes. I thought the latest ones actually finally worked with the Netgear routers, but I guess I was wrong. No, they still work with a hub. The reason Arlo has to have a hub is because Arlo, in order to conserve the battery, they use, believe it or not, a sub-gigahertz radio to turn the Wi-Fi on or off. So they have two radios. One of the reasons, one of the advantages of Halo is you don't need to have the second radio. Uh Ah. That's the reason they have it. They still have to have a hub. Not only just Arlo, for any of those battery-operated cameras, you need to have a hub, unless consumer is willing to just keep changing the batteries or, or power it off. You know, nope, the, not the willing. Not willing. Okay. Do you anticipate Wi-Fi Halo being in more consumer devices? And then like the first launch will be consumer-oriented devices? Yes. More consumer than any enterprise class. That is correct. There are tons of wireless technologies in the smart home or in the home today, right? We're in, we're about to see Wi-Fi 6E, Wi-Fi 6, right? I've got Zigbee, Z-Wave, Bluetooth. You have worked with radios all of your life. So, well, maybe not all of your life. You have worked with radios for a really long time. Yes. What can you tell me about the proliferation of radios in the home? What should I be thinking about with regard to interference, battery life, things I bring in? I don't know. Well, the more and more wireless devices you have in, you know, in your home, which that's what people like to have wireless devices, the majority of them are right now using the 2.4 gigahertz spectrum, which is basically an open standard spectrum. It's, you know, it's not licensed, it's free. But that causes all kinds of collisions and all kinds of problems in terms of making a very good link. That's probably why Wi-Fi 6 is becoming to be more and more interested because Wi-Fi 6 takes you to a completely different spectrum. But then the reach is becoming a problem. Today, if you look at it anywhere from your standard device, anywhere from your Bluetooth devices, your your Wi-Fi router to baby monitor to even if you have wireless uh, cameras, they're all 2.4 gigahertz. I think the benefit that the Halo is going to bring in is going to take some of that off of that 2.4 gigahertz, offload it in a spectrum, which is an ISM band, an ISM band spectrum, that it's unlicensed, therefore you can easily transmit, receive data, and it uh, creates an openness for both 2.4 gigahertz and provides a better penetration for your home devices. Okay. You can easily be able. You can easily stream music to a wireless speaker in the backyard 
without worrying about it because today you won't be able to do that from your base station. You have to have them very close to each other. Could this actually help with things like, I, I know that Amazon, for example, with Ring is doing a proprietary sub-gigahertz protocol called Sidewalk. We're seeing things like LoRa try to enter the home. So this would kind of compete with those. Yes? Well, it's a yes and no. I mean, LoRa is a very, very low bandwidth. True. No low- video cameras for that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Wi-Fi Halos basically uh, goes after certain markets by which bandwidth, demand, and security are important. LoRa goes after certain markets and devices where security is not that important and uh, purely just you're transmitting bits of data. So for example, if you want to have your, your sprinkler system on wirelessly being controlled, you don't need Halo. I mean, that's basically kilobits of data and, and, and LoRa would be perfectly fine. But if you want to do any video transmission or anything that requires higher bandwidth or, you know, advanced or security, then um, that's where Wi-Fi Halo comes into the picture. Got it. Okay. Final question for you. How will you know when Wi-Fi Halo is successful? What kind of metrics are you thinking? The, the success of Wi-Fi Halo would be when you get both APs, access point, as well as station devices on the market. It's a chicken and egg. You have to have both. And once we get routers, you know, wireless routers, manufacturers start adopting it and putting it as part of the solution of their boxes, then it is becomes a lot easier to get station devices to start adopting it because now they have something to connect to. And that's what that's when we would know. And that's what we're going we're going after. Excellent. Well, I wish you luck. And I could always use another wireless technology in my life. So thank you, Vahid, for coming on the show this week. Thank you very much, Stacey. Appreciate your time. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, if you'd like more IoT news, sign up for my newsletter at stacyoniot.com. We'll see you next week. 